Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Being a Grateful Leader. In it, you'll discover the personal, professional, and even medical benefits of gratitude and how you can practice gratitude as a leader. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 300. We are at episode 300, quite the milestone. Hard to believe we made it here. This is Elizabeth Frederick, as always, and I have been looking forward to this conversation since I first met our guest, and that was a few months ago. She is an executive advisor, a strategy consultant, and a keynote speaker. And she's also written five best-selling books, including the two that we're kind of focused on here today, which are Leading with Noble Purpose and Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. She was selected from many, many, many applicants to be an executive coach as part of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches program. And she's been named a top 20 sales expert in the world by Global Gurus. She's also a frequent contributor to publications, including the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and LinkedIn Learning. And she's the founder and CEO of McLeod and More, which is all about helping leaders find their noble purpose. Welcome to the show, Lisa Earl McLeod. I am so glad to have you here. It's such a pleasure to be with you today. Well, um, I just shared, you know, those high level bullets from your resume, from your LinkedIn bio, but a bio is not a person. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Maybe talk a little bit about um, where you started to develop the passion for, for what you're doing or the journey that you've been on to get to where you are today. So, you know, I think I'll go back and share a story about my very first job, which mm. was when I was 14 years old. And I was working at the Donut King in Arlington, Virginia. And this is before there were like huge mass franchises. And it was owned by a man, Mr. Kiln, who I realize now was a first generation immigrant. He had two Donut Kings, one in Arlington, Virginia, and one, I don't know where the other one was because I didn't work there, <laughs> but he drove back and forth between the two. And I remember I was 14, the minimum wage was like $1.25 an hour, it was my first job. And after a couple Saturdays, we, we weren't a super busy operation. After a couple Saturdays, he got to the point where he would leave me, you know, in the store alone. And I remember one Saturday, this uh, fireman came in and he had a couple of his fireman buddies with him. And he said, how many donuts do you have? And I was like, well, look behind me, like a lot. And he goes, no, how many? He's like, I need 350 donuts. And I'm like, <laughs> I can make that happen. I can totally make that happen. So I'm like grabbing all these donuts, putting them in this box. I'm like going in the back and he goes, if they're a day old, no big deal. I don't know what he was doing. I was not a great salesperson then. I didn't know enough to ask the customer, what do you need? Um, but anyhow, so I grab all these donuts and this is back in the days when people paid in cash. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't even know how much it was, like a couple hundred bucks. Mr. Kiln comes back at like five o'clock that day, you know, it's time for me to go. And he goes, how was the day? And I'm sitting there just waiting. And he punches the cash register, opens the drawer, and I watch his eyes just get big as saucers. And I was like, oh, hell yes. Oh, God. Man, this whole thing of selling stuff and making money and making people happy, I'm all in. Oh, man, you start at donuts. It's kind of all downhill from there. Donuts make people very, very happy. <laughs> they do make people happy. But I think, you know, things are so much clearer in hindsight. So I didn't like go home from that day and go, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Mm. But I think that was the start of the click for me. Upon reflection, I see little 14-year-old me and my little white donut smock. Um, 
I see the seeds of an idea there that this whole notion of selling things and making people money. And I, and I, again, I realized in hindsight, this is a first generation immigrant. He's really struggling and he sees $300 in his cash register. He only has to, you know, pay me $1.85 an hour. He gave me like $5 and said, great job. I'm thrilled. He's thrilled. <laughs> you know, it's the most money I've ever made in a day. But, but I think that notion of entrepreneurship and sales, I, I can look back on that moment and think that was kind of a pivot point moment because I've thought of him often. Definitely. I, I love when people can kind of draw that line from a first job you had, whether it was an actual job job or even, you know, the people who had a lemonade stand or mowed lawns. And so often you find those seeds of um, your values, of your purpose in your experiences in those early jobs, whether it's because of a great experience and a great boss that you had or a negative experience and you, you oh, learned some lessons about what you don't want. So <laughs> yeah, I had plenty of those flash forward three summers and I'm working, you know, downtown at a, at a fancy bar, picking up dollar bills off a table, <laughs> you know, as a waitress, and my boss was like the worst person that ever existed. So I had plenty of those, but, but I think that the thing that's interesting is a lot of the work that I do with organizations is around shaping belief mm. and what do people believe about the work and, you know, does the work actually make a difference in the lives of your customers? And, you know, we've worked with healthcare companies that are saving lives. We've worked with, you know, people that make, you know, products that make life, you know, so much easier. But even if you're selling accounting services or tech or something like that, it doesn't have to be curing cancer. If what you're doing is making people's lives or their organizations better, there's a nobility in that. Absolutely. And that's something, like you said, it's easy in some organizations and a little harder maybe for others to articulate. So I'd love, before we get into kind of the how, to first of all talk about the what. So how would you define a noble purpose? And um, what do you view as that kind of nobility? So I'll give you a couple of concrete examples because it's easy to talk about things in the abstract. We want to talk about them in the concrete reality, which is which is part of what I want to tell people how to do. So I'll give you two examples. Um, a noble purpose, quite frankly, very simply, it's how do you make a difference in the lives of your customers? That's it. And so it's simple, but it's not easy. So I'll give you two examples. One, we have a bank that we worked with, um, Atlantic Capital Bank. Uh, there, we started our work with them about three or four years ago, and we landed on the noble purpose, we fuel prosperity. It's three words. It's just three words. But when the entire organization is organized around the idea that we fuel prosperity, what happens is it operates at the highest strategic level. They made a divestiture decision based on, are we the right people to be in this business? Is this the best way to fuel prosperity? Is this the most efficient way? And they decided this isn't right for us. They made a divestiture. It also goes down at the you know most micro level with an individual seller where they are, it's a commercial bank, they are calling on a business and their job is to figure out what does prosperity mean for you and how can I help you with that? Mm. And so I use this, them as an example because they 
were able to activate this idea of we fuel prosperity across the entire organization. Their earnings went up 40%. They were voted a best place to work and the CEO is on the cover of American Banker. So this isn't just some like abstract, you know, lofty idea that shows up in your marketing. When every decision in your organization is based on does this fulfill our purpose? Is this the best way? Is this the most economical way? Is this the boldest way? And theirs was We Fuel Prosperity. Now I'm going to flip and tell you about another company, Bender Plumbing up in the Northeast. So not you might think not as sexy a company, but you try living your life without plumbing and you I, see how beautiful I'm it is. Very sad. <laughs> Yeah. And so they, they've got a, a number of different, um, you know, plumbing warehouses with kind of like, um, you know, like a Ferguson where they've got the top, they've got tile, they've got plumbing, they've got cabinets, and they also have an HVAC, you know, um, uh, arm that does commercial. So theirs is we provide comfortable solutions. We provide creative solutions for comfortable living. Mm. So again, super simple but that call is, is we provide creative solutions. Is this the most creative we can be? Is this the, is this the best solution we can offer? Is this going to make the customer's life more comfortable in terms of, is their HVAC going to work? Is their plumbing going to work? Is their house going to be more beautiful? Is their business going to run more efficiently? And so I use those two examples to show you again, you don't have to be curing cancer here. If you are, God love you. And you do have a noble purpose and it's clear but the noble purpose comes from answering three questions. How do we make a difference to our customers? How do we do it differently than our competition? And on your best day, what do you love about your job? Baked into the answer to those, if you answer those authentically, emotionally, and factually, both, you'll find your noble purpose. Definitely. And I this isn't me, but I'm going to speak from the, the perspective of maybe a skeptical listener who will say, Lisa, you know what? That's nice and fuzzy. You know, I get it. We've got all these coddled millennials and they need to have a purpose behind what they're doing. Um, but why do I need to have a noble purpose? What's really the point of all of this? What Does it actually make a difference? And so um, devil's advocate, that's what I'm going to say. How do you respond? <laughs> so I would respond that, yes, the millennials do want and need this. But let me go to the facts first, and then we'll circle back to them. So the data tells us an organization that makes improving customers' lives the centerpiece of their business, those organizations outperform the market by over 350%. So the data is there. A company that says our goal is to hit our numbers is not going to be as creative, as innovative, as imaginative, and as customer-focused as a company that says, we are here because we fuel prosperity. So now I'll go to individual sellers. Study from university or from Michigan State uh, University, Dr. Valerie Good, she uh, did this for her PhD studies, found that sellers who have a noble purpose, who laser-like focus on making a difference to customers, not only do they sell more and close bigger deals for obvious reasons because they're focused on the customers, but here's the thing that's important for our times. They have more resilience and more tenacity over time. Mm. And so what you want to think about, if you are running a company or you are a seller or a sales leader in your company, imagine two sales reps. One wakes up and says, my job today is hit my number. Mm -hmm. 
better than waking up and going, my job is to shirk my work until I can eat Doritos, watch television. I mean, they're going to do, they're going to, that seller is going to do well if they wake up and say that. But imagine another seller who says, my job is to help improve life for my customers. The data tells us what our hearts already know. That second seller is going to be more effective because if you're the customer and you've got your choice between a seller who's calling on you trying to close you and a seller who's calling on you trying to help you, seller number two is going to win the deal every time. And I want to be really clear on this. They will not only close more business, they will close higher margin business. Mm. So it's not about, well, I'm going to please a customer, so I got to lower the price. The opposite is true. The seller who's there trying to just close their own deal winds up commoditizing themselves and creating a transactional sale. The seller who's there saying, I got a, you know, creative solutions for comfortable living. Let's get creative or I need to fuel prosperity. Let's figure out what that means to you. That seller is going to close a higher margin deal because they've differentiated themselves. Absolutely. And we're seeing in so many different industries, this drive toward, and it's kind of this, this just, I don't even want to say drive. It's this kind of falling, fading toward commoditization. And yeah. it's it's so easy in um, in the way people buy right now, in you know, the ability that people have to get so much information online and and people are doing all of their research. And so it's almost like by the time they get to you, they're just placing an order as opposed to having a consultative selling conversation. And so if you can have that higher purpose and connect to people and understand their why, that's going to drive um, just a more engaging, more interesting conversation. And so often, I think, when customers try to commodify you and they try to just order from you, they're going to order the wrong thing. Or they are not a sufficient solution because they don't know. They don't have that noble purpose that you do. And so if you can somehow connect with them and guide them to that solution, help them discover it, maybe create it together, um, they actually end up with a better result. They do end up with a better result. And I think you've made some important points here that I want to lift up for sales leaders. Right now, we know that 70 to 90% of the customer's journey is online in a B2B space. So you're not changing that. So just like now, if I'm going to buy a light fixture, I do all my research online before I go to the store, if I ever go to the store. Mm -hmm. But the same thing is happening in complex, high ticket B2B sales. But here's the beauty of that. The beauty of that is, in many cases, you're dealing with a well-informed customer who's already thought things through. Now, to your point, they may not have all the information, but what has to shift from a sales standpoint, the things that we used to emphasize, like product knowledge, mm -hmm. those are table stakes now. Like the, the buyer is not dependent on the seller for the product knowledge. What they are dependent on the seller for and what they want, there was a study that came out from Salesforce that said, B2B buyers, like 85% of them are still looking for sellers to customize and get creative. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the buyer and the seller used to come together and the buyer had the knowledge of their company and the seller had the product knowledge. Well, now we're five steps ahead of that. The buyer has the product knowledge and the seller better have the company knowledge of the customer in advance. Don't be doing this, you know, so Joe, what business are you in? You know, unless you're working retail, no. You, this person gave you a Zoom call, you better know that. And so now 
the, they come together in a more strategic conversation. And I, I want to circle back to something that you said about the millennials, because I hear this a lot. People are just moaning and groaning. Oh, yeah, they need a purpose. Well, there's two sides to this. Number one is we raised all these people, and I raised two of them, saying you're going to change the world. And they believed us. So, yeah, that's there. (laughs) But the second thing I want to say is they're not wrong. What the data tells us is human beings have two fundamental needs. We want belonging and significance. Another way to say that is we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, and we want to know that our contribution matters. And this transcends age, race, sex, generation, everything, nationality. This is a fundamental human need. What's happened is previous generations wanted this, but we took money instead Mm. because we were so happy to have money. And there's nothing wrong with wanting money to feed your family, to do good things in the world, to have pleasure, to have nice things. There's nothing wrong with that. But what's happening is, as happens over the course of human history, younger people have upped the game and the salary and those kinds of things are table stakes. If you want top talent, you need to show these people why their work is making a difference. And what happens is the millennials are the first generation. Everyone wants purpose and meaning their work. The millennials are the first generation that will quit if they don't have it. Mm. And so I think one of the things that you've got to recognize, especially post-COVID, if you've ever had um, a life-changing event, uh, uh, a death, in the family, a, a, you know, uh, a loss of a parent, uh, uh, a major illness, uh, divorce, something that resets you, that mm-hmm. makes you go pause. Who am I and why am I here and what matters to me? You, we've all had those, especially as you get older. What's happened with COVID is everyone's had one. At the same time. time yeah, they've had, at the same time, they've had time to think. And people are coming out of it going, wow. I don't want to waste my time on bullshit anymore. Mm-hmm. And so if you sell widgets or accounting systems, those things, if you have customers buying from you, you're helping them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't be buying. So your job as a leader, whether you are leading yourself to be the top seller, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a sales manager, your job is to use your leadership airtime to lift up the purpose and the meaning of work because the data tells us your people will be more successful. You'll close more deals. You'll close higher margin deals. It's not designed to be manipulative. It's authentic. It's just like I'm a better parent when I know I'm raising the future leader of the free world. I do it better than when I'm just like, just get the damn dinner on the table, you know? So (laughs) by lifting this up, you're creating an entirely different ethos for your team that will differentiate them in the market, help you win more business, and also it will make you happier. Absolutely. I always have to bring in that devil's advocate because I am literally the um, the age that defined millennials. I was the class of high school class of 2000. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, long time ago now. But it's, it's funny because like you said, I never viewed it as this is this weird thing. And certainly, um, you know, we're not always the most self-aware, but I was like, why wouldn't you want to be connected to what it is that you do? Why wouldn't that be important? And uh, it, It's just something that I think people might be afraid of because, like you said, they're selling accounting software or plumbing. And they think, well, 
you know, there are all these jobs that don't have a noble purpose. So how would I get anybody to work for me? They're all going to want to cure cancer um, and not understanding that there can be a noble purpose in just about any kind of a company. If, now, if maybe if you're are, selling cigarettes or something, not so much, but just about every kind of company. Right. If people are buying it. So I will tell you a story of another company we have a that that embraced this philosophy and took it all the way through. And it's a company called uh, Support Works out of Omaha, Nebraska. So so if you're thinking we don't have a noble purpose, I want I, and you're listening to this, I want you to hear this story. This is a company out of Omaha, Nebraska. They make concrete and do foundation repair and they work hard, like blue collar, hard work, mucking out people's basements, you know, shoring up the walls of a crumbling building. They have residential and commercial. They decided that their noble purpose was we redefine, that they were going to redefine what it meant to call a contractor, that they were going to redefine blue collar work. You know, you call a contractor, maybe they come, maybe they don't, maybe the price is good, maybe it's not, Mm -hmm. maybe they, maybe they guarantee it, maybe they don't. They said, no, no, that is not how it's going to be. So they, they said, we're going to redefine what it means to be a contractor. And so they put in a whole new set of standards. They they captured this ESOS. They said, it's not just rough, tough work. This is work with meaning. They do storytelling at their company meetings. Well, flash forward, this company out of Omaha, Nebraska has been voted a best place to work for millennials. I catch you <laughs> not. And it is because they have taken this seemingly plain business, concrete, you know, but again, you try living your life without concrete and a solid foundation, you can't. And so they have taken this business and they have shifted the emotional center of the business from just an everyday, hey, you know, time to go do the work, time to pour some more concrete. They have lifted up the emotional center of the work and they have become a best place to work. You look at their Yelp reviews and all of those things. They sell through distributors. We might think of it as a franchise model, but it's a mm-hmm. just they call it distributors. They sell through people all over the country. They now have people lined up that want to be a distributor to them. They're awarding them rather than selling them. And all of these people go through this noble purpose training, and they've all achieved amazing results. And it's because the leaders of that organization made a decision: we're going to infuse this sense of noble purpose, and it's going to permeate everything we do. And it's a game changer. Absolutely. So you touched on a few minutes ago, um, the three questions to ask to kind of mm-hmm. um, help identify your noble purpose. But I'd like to sit on that for a bit um, okay. for anybody who might have not listened until you just started sharing those stories. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to spend some time on how can an organization really define its noble purpose? And maybe I don't even know if define is the right verb there, but how can they help understand and create their noble purpose? Yeah, we call it name and claim. Nice. And the reason we call it name and claim is because you've probably already got one. It's just implicit. Your mm-hmm. job as a leader, and again, if you're the CEO, if you're an individual seller, don't wait for everybody else. Go to town right now what I'm about to tell you. This is how you name and claim it. It's taking the implicit and making it explicit. So there are three questions that you want to ask, and these are in Selling with Noble Purpose, the book, and there's examples of answers. The first question is, how do you make a difference to your customer? And you really want to unpack that. So if in our in our world, in my company, we'll use that as an example. I could say, well, we provide consulting that helps them. 
well, that's a good start, but we need to go deeper. How do we make a difference? We give people pride in their work. We help companies dramatically accelerate revenue growth. Well, how does that make a difference? Well, gosh, people uh, get more bonuses. They're able to do more with the business. They get more excited at work every day. So do you see where I'm going? Like, you really got to answer that question and then what, and then what? Then the next question is, how do you do it differently than your competition? And it may be that you've got a better widget, maybe. If you do, you probably won't have it for that long because your competition will catch Uh up But how do you do it differently is really about what's the experience like of doing business with you and your firm. So in our company, we say one way we do it differently is we are all effing in. Like we, like we get so excited about our customers and we want to do everything we can. And so for us, that's like part of our secret sauce. And you probably have something in your own company you know, maybe you're more fun. That's the, uh, one of the other things we do in our company is we're like, this is going to be fun. This is not going to be a grind. We're going to make this fun. And so whatever your secret sauce is, maybe you're the ones that do it quietly and efficiently. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you're the ones that have faster turnaround time. Maybe you're the ones that care deeply. So this can be a combination of facts and the emotional spirit of your company. And then the third thing is on your best day, what do you love about your job? And really think about that. And so when I think about like my best day is when the CEO of Atlantic Capital Bank got on the cover of American Banker. That was like, <laughs> and so for me and, and for all of us is that those best days, they're usually tied to when you knew your work mattered and it made a difference to someone else. Interestingly enough, when salespeople are asked about their best days, sometimes it'll be when they close the big sale. But if you dig a little deeper, it's almost always underneath that is how it made a difference. So if you unpack that, that creates the story of your business. And then out of that, you want to lift a very simple statement that is your version of We Fuel Prosperity. I love that. And I I think something that's really interesting here is in that first question of how do you make a difference to your customers, you could go in two directions there. It could be I remove a problem or a pain from them, mm-hmm. or it could be I provide a wonderful experience for them. And often it's a mix of both, right? Um, usually I'm happy if you if you solve a problem for me. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, I was, I think most people are probably doing the same thing. I was thinking through my experiences and my history when you said that. And I go back to, this was years ago. This was maybe 2008, 2009. I was meeting with a client in the UK and we were in a kickoff for their program. And as part of the exercise, people identified what would be the result if the sales growth program were successful. And, you know, people gave the the standard answers. I'd be able to buy a boat. Um, I'd be Mm -hmm. able to go on vacation with my spouse, whatever. Um, And then one guy kind of two thirds of the way through the meeting said, my wife and I are trying to adopt, and this would help us be able to afford to adopt a child and create the family that we want. 
And you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, just, and and to this day, I'm I'm almost tearing up talking about it. This was years and years and years ago. And I I remember the look on his face. I remember um, just how everybody felt. And, you know, it's so easy to focus on, like you said, the facts, to focus on, um, you know, the dollars and uh, productivity numbers and whatever that might be. But if you really think through what does that actually cause in people's lives, uh, so many things that seem a little dry, seem a little kind of, you know, check the box, boring. Um, there's there's really a nobility there. There's really a, an incredible, powerful um, value that people get out of it. And it's so easy to just move past that because you're not thinking about it. It's not front, front and present. The mm-hmm. numbers and the tangible and the short term are always clear and present for us. And so what we have to do is we have to be really intentional about being bringing forth the strategic, the impact and the long-term and making that as clear and present as the short-term. And so I want to comment on the guy that wanted to adopt. What's interesting is, so uh, two things. One, I bet you the people in the room were more excited and moved by his goal than they were their own. Definitely. Just like, well, we got to help him. But the other thing I want to go back to is the person who wants the boat. There's nothing wrong with wanting a boat. No. However, what I would say is you probably don't just want a boat. You want to be out on the water with your friends or your Uh family. And so, or maybe you want to be out on the water by yourself, contemplating your thoughts. I don't know. But if you picture the thing, the boat, it's not going to have as much resonance for you as the impact of the boat. So I want to give you a couple of other examples because a lot of times people think when they come up with their noble purpose, that has to be this flowery language. So I'm going to give you one from the book that is from this tech company and is super simple. It is, we help small businesses be more successful. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's not flowery, but what I will tell you is that drove 10X growth. That simple thing. It's CMIT. They uh, built the company up hugely. Then it got bought by someone else and everyone sold out for this big multiple. But that simple statement, they were a very early adopter to selling with noble purpose. In fact, I hadn't even written the first book yet. And they were like, no, we're all in. So we came up with that simple statement. We help small businesses be more successful. And imagine If every single person in your company, if your target market is small businesses, imagine if every single person in your company was focused on helping those customers be more successful. Like like the person in accounting is sitting there going, well, my job, I'm part of this larger story to help small businesses be more successful. How can I help them? The sellers are, I'm out here to help small businesses be more successful. I got to find out how I can do that and the best way to do that. And so it drove literally 10x growth with that simple statement. It's clear, it's concise, it's not flowery, but everybody knows what to do. And I love how um, in the examples that you've shared, some of them don't necessarily name who it is that you're helping, uh, but this one does. And I think in some organizations, either maybe you're serving the broader public and there's not really a distinguishing factor, or maybe it's just so implicit everybody knows it and it doesn't matter. But when appropriate, I think it could be really powerful to have, you know, we help small businesses be more successful because that's going to trigger a, a feeling 
and and uh, a mindset that might be different than it's just we help companies be more successful. You know what? You are dead spot on. A lot of times people will say, we'll try and get too verbose in their purpose statement and name their target market and everything, but you just hit on it. The reason small business is there is because it generates a feeling. There's another one in the book um, for a large um, biotech company, Roche, and pharma biotech, and theirs is, we do now what patients need next. Mm. Patience is the word. And so like in our company purpose statement, we say we help leaders drive revenue and do work that makes them proud. So we did name it. But what it's not is this big, our target market is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like you need that somewhere in your company stuff so everybody knows. But the words only matter when they're evoking the feeling. I'll give you another one in the book. It's one of my favorites. I worked with the sales team at Dave and Buster's hmm. and they are, so if you're doing a corporate event, you know, you could yep. do it at Dave and Buster's and theirs was, we champion laugh out loud fun. Oh, How I awesome miss laugh that? out loud fun with a, with a group of people. I'm like, oh, I miss that. <laughs> right. I know. And so, so how awesome is that? And, but I mean, the idea that we don't just sell corporate events, we champion laugh out loud fun. And how differentiated is that there? Where are they going to, they're going to come in and call on the corporate event planner and they've got lots of choices. The corporate mm-hmm. event planner, they can go to the Marriott, they can go here, they can go there. And all of those are good choices. But Dave and Buster's is the only one that says, we champion laugh out loud fun. You want to have fancy apps and a bunch of sushi? Yeah. Go somewhere else. We're the champions of fun. And when was the last time you had that? Oh, that sounds awesome. We will get back there one day, one day. Yeah. But that shows you how when, when you thought about it, and I remember the moment when I said, how do you make a difference to your customers? And we were doing this exercise with the leadership team. And one of the people said, it was, you know, we help them do, have a great event. We do a seamless operation. They went through a lot of things. And then one of the people said, you know what? I think it might've been on the question, what's your best day at work? On, on your best day, what do you love about your job? And one of the people said, I, we were at an event and I overheard these people talking. They were looking at their boss across the room and they were saying, I never even knew he could smile, much oh, wow. less laugh out loud. And I watched those people looking at their boss differently. And I watched him laughing out loud. And as they, as the person was starting to talk in the meeting, we're all starting to smile and we're like, oh, hell yeah, we got it. That's it. Oh, that's just such a powerful example. And it's, it's just that whole idea of reframing. You know, it could just seem over silly, um, but no, it's it's we're helping people have this experience um, mm-hmm. and just the way that that changes team building, the way it changes, like you said, how you perceive your boss. The boss might need to not smile and laugh a lot in the type of work that you do in the day to day, but you get into that experience and you see them as a real person. And when they need to be all, you know, just the facts the next day at work, right. um, you, you at least see the humanity behind that and you feel that personal connection. And that's so incredibly powerful. And imagine if everybody at Dave and Buster sees that and feels that mm-hmm. when they're planning the event and when they're thinking about it. And so if you're a leader listening to this, one of the things you have to understand is the words and beliefs that you communicate to your team shape their behavior. And if you, one of the mistakes sales leaders often make is it's hit the number, hit the number, hit the number, 
But oh yeah, have a strategic conversation with your customer. <laughs> and if if you if you treat your customer like a number, they will return the favor and you will mm-hmm. be commoditized. And if you're a leader and 95% of your airtime is about hitting the number, you, as well-intended as you may be, you are creating a transactional sales force because 95% of what's in their head is hit the number, hit the number. And we know that does not promote the best sales behavior. What we want to be putting forth is go improve life for the customers, go provide value to the customers, make a difference to the customers. And as a result, we will hit our number. And you still measure the numbers, Mm -hmm. but but they're the lagging indicator. The leading indicator is how are we improving life for customers? And when that becomes the organizing principle of a sales call, you win more business. Definitely. Now, something I've been thinking as you're talking, and I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking the same thing. Um, I get it. If I'm the CEO, if I'm a member of the executive leadership team, I can call everybody together and we'll spend some time. Maybe we'll hire Lisa McLeod and we'll figure out what our noble purpose is. We'll all read the book, right? But I am just the sales manager of this one office. I am just a salesperson um, on the team. And I want to impact this. I want to live with a noble purpose. What can they do um, in their organizations if they're not necessarily in a position to bring the whole organization behind them? So don't wait. What I will tell you is the 10-year body of work that is selling with noble purpose started from a study of individual sales performers. Mm. And we found that the salespeople individually who were clear about their purpose and had this sense of noble purpose were in the top 10%, were the top performers. So here's what you do. If you are a team of one or a team of five, you answer the questions and you come up with it for yourself. Do not wait on everybody else and don't say, well, they're... one of the things that always happens after I give a keynote is people will come up to me. Now they send me messages um, on Zoom or LinkedIn as they say, well, I really believe this, but you know, my boss doesn't, mm-hmm. which I say, do not wait. So I'll tell you, we had one company um, and they're on our website. Um, it's called Flight Center. They were a big travel company out of Australia that one person read the book They took it to their boss and said, hey, what would you think about doing this team of five people? They said, sure, we'll answer the discovery questions and that'll be our team ethos. And we'll come up with our own, you know, noble sales purpose and it'll just be us and we'll work towards that everything. And it worked. They had amazing results. Then people start going, well, what are they doing? Well, anyhow, (laughs) flash forward 18,000 people later, the whole company's on board. But I don't want to say if you do it first, everyone will follow because it doesn't matter if they follow. Mm Mm-hmm. What matters is you. If you do it as an individual leader and you say, look, we, we know we're making a difference to these customers. I want to bring this forth in a bolder, more explicit way. I want this to become our story. And don't be shy or embarrassed about it. Use the book. The book like literally walks you through exactly, selling with no purpose tells you exactly what to do. And say, I want to make this our team story. And if people say, well, what about the boss? What about the senior? Say, we're going to be a top performing team. This is what we're going to do. And if you're doing this on your own, you do it and you just act that way. The whole decade body of work started 
with five individual salespeople that we observed doing this in this large biotech company, and they were the top performers. Wow. And they were doing it on their own, unbeknownst to everybody else. They didn't have a name for it, but they all spoke with great authenticity about this higher purpose at work and how they thought about it every day. Huge biotech company. They wound up being the top five performers. And the interesting thing is we didn't know that's what we were looking for when we started the study. We were just looking for what made the top performers different. Was it like their education, their background? Did they ask more questions? Did they do better pre-call planning? And it was one anecdotal conversation where one of them shared with me this vision she had about helping patients that caused me to start to look for it. And so, so you have complete agency over the frame you put on your job. And we know if you put this frame on your job, you'll win more business and you'll be happier. I love that you said that because, um, and now I'm going to completely misremember the details, but I heard this, uh, the story on an NPR podcast years ago. Um, They were doing work with nurses, uh, not nurses. It was like hospital workers. Yes, I know exactly. You probably know the exact thing I'm talking about. Like they would go in and clean clean the rooms. rooms. Yes. And it was a seemingly thankless job, very Mm -hmm. hard job. Mm -hmm. Tell the story. I remember it. And just... They, they saw complete differences in the results and in the job satisfaction as well of people um, doing the same job. And some people viewed it as it's a thankless job. I go in, I clean the room, I make the bed, I you know change the garbage, whatever it is. And then some people connected it to, I provide an experience for that patient. They would read to them. They would change out the pictures on the walls. They would mm-hmm. just feel like, you know, I wouldn't want to lie in a room that didn't look nice. Um, I, you know, I'm going to open the curtains and, you know, whatever it might be, they were making these small changes. You seem like you remember it better than I do, but they had a drastically different experience. They didn't, they, they had better employee satisfaction and they felt connected to their work as opposed to just feeling like I'm a cog in a, in a wheel. You know, I'm just this one little, little blip on the radar. Nobody likes me. Nobody cares about me. They weren't getting paid more. They weren't getting, you know, any extra compensation. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have been because they they seemed very underpaid for what they did, but still they were able to find that purpose in what Mm -hmm. they did. And it made them excited and happy to come to work. It did. And and the important thing about that is I, I remember that story very well, is that they weren't getting more, but they weren't getting less either. Yes. And they weren't working more and they weren't working less either. So so in the same eight hours doing the same practical things, they are having an entirely different experience because of the mental frame they put on it. And yes, the hospital is benefiting hugely. Yes, the patients are benefiting hugely. But the main person that's benefiting is the person doing it. They're going home at the end of the day, what I call the good tired. Yes. There's the crappy tired and there's the good tired. And the crappy, it's the same eight hours or 10 hours or five hours or wherever you're working. The crappy tired is like, well, what did I do that for? That sucked. And the good tired is like, man, I made a difference today. And so they're spending that same amount of time. And that's, and, and you're right. It, it, the thing that we often miss as humans is we are at complete choice about the frame that we put on things. And that frame dramatically affects your own experience. And in the studies of this hospital and in our studies of sales team, it also dramatically affects the results 
Yes. So this this idea that I have to wait for the rest of my company to get on board. If you're a CEO, by the way, you'll do people a big favor and it'll go faster if you do it. So call me. <laughs> but if you're an individual performer, the idea that I have to wait forever for anyone else is giving away all your own agency. Absolutely. And, it, you know, waiting for somebody to do this for you, that's a very unpleasant time, <laughs> you know, during the waiting. I, just the idea of, you know, eventually, I'm sure somebody will tell me what my noble purpose is. I, I wouldn't want to live in that space for a really long time. I've seen so often, like you said, when you look at an entire organization um, of salespeople, you know, I've met hundreds and hundreds of salespeople over the years and in all these different companies. So often, if you were to sit in on a meeting, a, a selling meeting with one of the top performers, you'll hear the passion in their voice. You'll hear the stories that they tell and they get the why of their company. They get how they make a difference, sometimes even more than their bosses do, <laughs> but it comes out. Well, often more than their bosses do, because when I went back to that big biotech company it's a decade ago, I didn't quite have the language to describe how these people were having a different experience. And what I said was they were carrying a different story in their heart. Mm. Well, tell that to a bunch of you know MBAs <laughs> and scientists, and they're like, whatever, lady. But um, you know, it only took a decade to codify this whole thing. But they actually were carrying a different story in their heart. And here's the thing that we know that noble purpose is innate to top performers, but it is not limited to them. And mm. so one of the things that we spent the last decade doing was identifying how leadership, you think about a bell curve, how leadership can get the big bump in the middle and mm. move the needle on that. And there are actually a number of very specific things that you can do. You know, we talked about at the beginning, like how do you make this real? There are a number of specific things you can do in the cadence of daily work in terms of the way you do your pipeline reviews, the way you uh, prep for customer meetings, the way that you do your presentations. Like it doesn't have to be this big wholesale change, but I'll give you an example. In a pipeline review, which all managers do, and the typical questions, you look at the deal, you say, when are you going to close it? How much is it going to be? Who's the competition? Do we have all the decision makers? All those important questions. If you add one question, and this is what we call the game-changing question, you ask your seller about the deal, how will this customer be different as a result of doing business with us? Mm. If, all, if you insert that one question, the seller's brain immediately goes from my deal, my numbers, to the customer, and it puts them in the right headspace for the call. If they've got a good answer, how the customer will be different, great. If they don't know, you're probably not going to close this and they need to be a little more homework. So, it, but, but a lot of times the seller will go, well, they'll have the value of our services. Dig a little deeper. How will that affect them? And what will that do? And what will that do? When you dig deeper, you've just shifted the entire orientation of your seller from themselves to your customer with one question. So we spent a decade identifying and we've got, you know, a punch list of things that leaders can do that are, most of them are that simple. Absolutely. The center of the organization, the emotional center. Yes. And I love that, um, you know, the, a different story in their heart, but that's compelling and it, it really connects because I think of the very specific stories I've heard from um, especially those top performing salespeople. But I think noble purpose does maybe sound a little better to the MBA at the, at the top of the organization. It's got to sign off on it. So 
<laughs> your noble purpose is the story you carry in your heart about what you do and why you're doing it. And I, and I want to, I want to spend one second on this word, what you do, because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of talk about your why. And Simon Sinek put that into the corporate vernacular, God bless him, so that people could start to think about that. Your noble purpose is what? Mm. So I'm like kind of practical here. And so your noble purpose is what you do. We fuel prosperity. We champion laugh out loud fun. (laughs) We help small businesses be more successful. Your noble business, noble purpose is the essence of your business. It is what you are there to do. And so starting with it from that, what we find in an organization is the most powerful, effective organizations are when the whole organization has a shared purpose. Every single person in the organization has charted their job to how they impact the noble purpose. And the noble purpose is always about making a difference to customers. And then think about it as a Venn chart, the organization, the job. And then the third part is you, where each individual has some opportunity to think about why does this matter to me? And so that's where the why usually fits. It's mm-hmm. pretty personal. The noble purpose is the what you actually do. That is a great clarification. And I think, uh, like you said, the why is really important. But mm-hmm. if you get so caught up in the why, sometimes then it seems like you're falling down when you then you get to the what and you're like, okay, I have this why that's really nice, but mm-hmm. I'm actually doing plumbing. <laughs> and so really being able to say, okay, what's the noble purpose in the what in the actual plumbing that I'm doing, um, that can impact you more in the day-to-day way that you actually approach your work. It's something that you can activate across the team and in your own self. Definitely. All right. I am looking at the clock and I know we need to wind down. I think we're going to have to bring you back, Lisa, um, because I, I could talk to you for another few hours. Uh, but I'd, I'd love it if you could share um, some resources for our listeners. Obviously, your books. Um, I'm sure if, if anybody listened to this and doesn't want to um, want to get your books, they're a little bit crazy, but um, they could be on this specific topic or on something else. Resources, podcasts, books, videos, anything. I'll tell you something that we did recently for LinkedIn Learning. And you can, if you have a membership to LinkedIn Learning, you can get it. If not, you can just get one. We did a course called Selling with Empathy Mm. during uncertain times. So if you just Google link, go on LinkedIn and just search Selling with Empathy and you'll find it. And that's been something that we've gotten a lot of really practical and positive feedback on because we did a lot of very practical tips in that. Mm. So so try that. For leaders, we also have on our website, and if you go to our website, McLeod Moore, just Google my name, Lisa McLeod, or Google Noble Purpose, you'll find our website. Um, we've got a, an assessment that's free that you can do to identify organizationally, it's, it's 10 questions, it's, it's anecdotal, but it really gets to the heart of the matter if you answer them honestly about where you are sort of on the purpose scale. And then I'll also share um, another thing. We do a LinkedIn Live every Friday. If you follow me on LinkedIn, it's free. So everything that I've shared with you is most of it if you, is free. So we do LinkedIn Live every Friday and I do a different topic. And this Friday, um, I think we're going to do the one on the tension of opposites, but look, look at the list. Mm-hmm. Just follow me on LinkedIn. And, and so I would say other things. So those are the things that we have that are really helpful. The other thing that I'm doing lately for my own development 
is um, I have been listening to Brene Brown's podcast and buying yes. every book she has on there. <laughs> Even if you don't listen yes. to the whole podcast, buy the book because she screened this stuff for you. She's got the author, buy the book. Yep. <laughs> It's like the best book club there is. I it is. Cannot, it is. I cannot so, agree with you. So I'm in that. I corresponded with her about ten years ago. She wrote the gifts of imperfection, and I wrote a book called Forget Perfect. Um, uh, hers did better than mine, but they're both important books. <laughs> I love her work, but I think you know one of the things I would also encourage folks. There is so much out there. Just pick something. Yes. Like this randomly jumping around is not going to get you baked in what you need. And so I decided I made the commitment to her podcast, which is, you know, they're, they're not short, they're really good conversations. And I made a commitment to that. And we have a number of people that are on our LinkedIn live every Friday where we do different conversations. It's 1 PM Eastern time. And they made the commitment to that. So there's so much out there. Obviously, they need to listen to your podcast, but they already are. So I'm assuming I don't need to tell them that. Huh. Well, but pick a couple of things and just bake yourself in them. And then if yes. you're bored with them, pick something else. Definitely. Definitely. I think a lot of times we get paralyzed by all the different choices we have and don't do anything. So I love that. Just jump in. All right. Last question. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? I know you've mentioned a couple of things, but just to remind people. So Google Noble Purpose, you'll find our website. Follow me on LinkedIn. We do a live every Friday. You'll get a notification. It's 100% free. And sign up on LinkedIn for the Work on Purpose newsletter. Every week, right. come to your inbox. It's 100% free. And we offer practical tips. I write it so that you can read it in two minutes. And it's got practical tips for you to start your week. All right. Thank you so, so, so much for speaking with me today, Lisa. I, I learned so much and I'm sure our listeners did as well. It was such a pleasure. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything that Lisa and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 300. Make sure to tune in next week for another excellent guest. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love it if you could recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover the show. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure to do that so you'll hear every new episode as soon as it goes live. You can subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening right now. We always love to hear feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us with direct feedback, questions, and guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. And don't forget to check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!